speak to us and that we will obey what you say to us. Help us not to be presumptuous upon the line we were singing that you will wait for us. I suspect you've been waiting for a long time here. May we not be presumptuous about your patience with us, God. Help us to be earnest about what we hear from your spirit as we read, as we listen. Today's sermon, sermons in other places, podcasts, conversations, discipleship groups. God, when we hear your truth, when we hear your word explained, when we hear people's stories about how your word changed them and affected them and guided them, help us to think and ask and pray, God, are you speaking to me? Are you guiding me? Am I not listening? Am I not following? God, would you speak to us in ways that are crystal clear to us? And might we obey, not out of fear, but out of the deep conviction that the wisest and safest thing I can do is to trust you, the living, loving God who will do us no harm. Lead us to truth and safety. Capture our hearts to that degree and with that goal in view, might we listen and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. May be seated. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts. Turn your Bibles to the book of Acts and make your way to chapter 3. We have been, with few exceptions, Mother's Day, Father's Day, a couple other big events, I, I suppose. But we've been, well, coming up on 18 months as I remember and chart things out for us Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. Uh, looking at the big themes, the, the overarching view of flow from the Old Testament, of course, Christmas, last Christmas, the Incarnation, then January, the unfolding of, of the ministry of Jesus and the Gospels, and then Easter with Passover, Crucifixion, resurrection. So we come now to the, after the Gospels are closed out and Jesus is crucified and risen and last week, a couple weeks back, ascended back to the Father. So here we are now in post Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit has come, chapter 2. The church is now empowered. We have been enlightened to ministry of Jesus. We are empowered presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. So now what are we going to do? What all this Old Testament history promises the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come, the Messiah will come, the Messiah has come. He's explained to us eternity and life and substitutionary atonement. His sacrifice paid for our sins. If we've understood all of that in the Gospels, come to its 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 Apex, its, its, its climactic statement of death and burial and resurrection, and then not in an anticlimactic way, but, but then the Holy 
Holy Spirit, Jesus said that to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. If I don't go away, we're still bound geographically. I'm here, and you're going to want to be with me. That's appropriate that you would want to be with me. It's to your benefit that I go away, so we're no longer bound geographically. That the gospel expands throughout the whole universe. And that's the day of Pentecost. It's the reverse of the Tower of Babel. So where do we go from here? Well, I, I want to quickly, because there's so much to cover and, and, and uh, there's so many things I want to get to with you. I want to rush through some things and then really slow down and I'll point one of those out. Some other things I pointed out to you this morning. So I want to cover these chapters, 3 through 7, and I even pray that seems like completely unreasonable. But let's give it a shot and see how we do. You can see the printed notes. There seems at least to me to be not a break in, in, in time, but, but chapters 3 and 4, they're really centered around one big event. Peter and John, in, in the early parts of chapter 3, they heal this guy as they're going into prayer. The hour of prayer. And from that event, all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 4 then unfold. So, so look at chapter 3 and 4 together as, as, as interconnected, almost as one. But then there's four other problems, themes, events that I want you to catch. And they're not totally independent from one another, but you can understand them independent from one another. They're not linked as closely as chapters 3 and 4. And we'll try to work through those chapters 5, 6, and 7. Those four events of those three chapters there. And one last word, and then we're really going to take off. Don't get stuck just learning the history of these chapters. Don't get stuck just, just seeing the facts and, and, and missing the life that's going on amidst these events. Bible is not just a book of history. There's history in the Bible, but it's not primarily a book of history. It's a book of relationship. And it's not so much the horizontal relationship, me and you and Peter and John, and no, it's us and God. That we're in a relationship with the living God. And that relationship is mediated by God who took the flesh in the person of Jesus, his son. Don't miss the relationship. Don't miss that piece of, of God interacting with his people. And his people depending upon their master, their savior, their father, their God. Don't, don't miss that. Don't get stuck in just the history. This is fascinating. It is fascinating. But let's see what's happening through the relationship that's even more life-changing. Okay, with that. Chapter 3. Peter and John are going to the regular hour of prayer, just like Muslims, these all those Muslims, they're praying people. Orthodox Jews were praying people long before, long before. And here they are, it's the hour to pray, and even though Peter and John are disciples of Jesus, and they've been born of the Spirit, they're still going, they're still going to this Orthodox Jewish hour of prayer, and they're going to the temple to pray, and 
they encounter, this verse 2, a man who's lame from birth. And every day someone brings him to the gate and he's begging for alms. The word alms is just generous coins. Throw the guy some coins. You know, it can't work. This is the only way to survive. And so he's begging. The real story picks up in verse 4. Peter and John direct his gaze at him. I'm sorry, Peter directs his gaze and John also. And it seems they both said, look, look, sir, look, look at us. This is a very particular, personally focused issue. This isn't just a, a passing, open enrollment for insurance. This is very individualistic, very personal, relational. We, we got a word for you. There's hope for you. Look, look at us. Verse 5, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive a coin. Expecting to receive some financial help. And they don't lie in verse 6, but the truth of the matter is, look, we, we don't have money. We have something else. We don't have money. But what we do have that God has given to us to share with people. We don't have money to give you, sir. But what we do is what God has given us to share with you. This is beautiful. He doesn't even explain what we have to give. He simply says, he simply says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk home. Yeah. Yeah. It's in that moment, in that moment, in that, that, how do you measure that millisecond moment that the Spirit of God is working and His mind is working and, and, and this, this intense, personal focus, something's different about this moment than all the other moments. Surely I don't imagine, surely you don't imagine that no one ever said, well, you, sir, you just need to learn to pray. I would believe that thousands of people have encouraged him to pray. Thousands of people have encouraged him to go see the priest in the temple. Thousands of people have recommended some religious experience to this fellow. Something's different this time. The Spirit of God is working. Peter and John are very intense. Something unique is going on here. And this fellow is at this crucial moment to blow it off or to believe like he has never believed before. Right. That's right. You see that same, that same crystallized, crucial moment all through the Gospels. Jesus is with the guy who every day is at the pool of Bethesda. But today, Jesus says to him, Church, sir, just, just stand up, roll up your bed, and walk home. And the man who had been crippled his whole life stood up and, and, and walked home. And here, it's not Jesus, it's Peter and John who've been empowered by Jesus, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is Jesus in spirit. And the man gets up. You know how many times my parents told me I need to be born again? And my Sunday school teacher, my little kid, told me I need to be born again? God, no, I need to be born again. I need to be born again. What is this born again thing? 
But there was a moment, there was one time of those many times that, no, this is true. This is true. Right. I'm known academically, but I'm feeling deep in my soul. This is true. And this is when I get up and I walk. Yeah. This is when I get up and I believe what I've never believed before. This is when it becomes real to me. This this isn't some emotional moment, although there were emotions. This is Yeah, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. And it happens for him right here. Now we can read some more, but you've got the point. Skip to chapter four, look what happens. Chapter four, verse one. So they heal the guy, and you can only imagine. I mean, he's he's a community figure. He's there all the time, and he's begging, and he's a cripple. But today he's walking around, yeah. and he's talking, and he's smiling. Let me tell you what just happened. Well, I think we can figure out what happened. Look at you, man. And 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 the whole town seemed to turn out, and everybody has got word. And, and all through chapter three, this information is being dispersed all around the community. In chapter four, verse one, as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, came upon them, greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed, because Peter and John, the they, had been teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So from the, the healing in chapter 2 to the old uh, uh, chapter 3 to, to this first person, chapter 4, they moved on from what happened to him to, well, this is the power of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. The Jesus who rose from the dead and can free you from your spiritual death and free you from ultimate physical death at the end of your life. And they're explaining the power and the presence and the ministry of Jesus. And so, no, 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 we can't have this. And the religious structure said, no, 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 we can't have this. Get down there and shut those guys up. So the priest and the captain of the temple, that would be the temple guards, the temple police, greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed. Don't minimize that. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. It's already nighttime. Now watch for it. Many of those who had heard all this explanation and preaching throughout all of chapter 3, many had heard the word and believed, and the number of men who came to faith were about, you see it in verse 4, 5. Do you think this is because everybody got healed? One guy got healed who was confirmed crippled. I mean, everyone knew. He's a community fixture. He's there every day. Those who get up really early see his friends bring him. Those who stay late see his friends take him home. Everybody knows old Joe is always begging at the game name Beautiful. But today, Joe, or whatever his name is, got up and walked away. He did it by the power of Jesus of Nazareth. But the miracle is just what you can see with your eyes. He's walking on strong legs. Way more than that happened to this brother. His sins were forgiven. Yeah. The healing is just, just, 
just a, a, a tool to draw your attention to the power that not only can fix your body, but can heal your spirit for all of eternity. Because eventually we're all going to die and our, we won't need our legs anymore because I'm dead. But my spirit is alive in Christ eternally. You would think the religious group would be thrilled about this, but no, if, we, if we're not doing it, we can't control it, and then I say what we tell to say, no, it can't be of God, because we're the people of God. That's the climate. That's the tension. That's the clash I want you to see. In all these little stories, every one of them has that same essence to it. That God is moving in powerful, miraculous ways. And those who want to control really say, you can't do that, you can't do that. But we just did that. Verse 7, chapter 4, skip to verse 27. Skip way over to verse 27. I'm sorry, 23. Go to verse 23. So when they were released, that is to say, Peter and John were finally released from jail. And they went to their friends, the church, the believers. Now there's an additional 5,000 of them who got saved in verse 4. So when Peter and John were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said. And when the church, when they, the congregation, heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he's quoting from Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles raise the people uh, imagine these vain things? The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. Now watch this. They're quoting Psalm 2. The church. Peter John, you know, let me tell you what happened to us today. Yeah, we heard all about it. What was it like? And they gave him details. And the church spontaneously says amongst themselves, you know what this is? This is just like Psalm 2. The church was so familiar with biblical truth that they connected what just happened to them with something that King David talked about. And now they say in verse 27, truly in this city, right now today, in Jerusalem, when they were living in, in Acts chapter 4, that were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, Herod, who was the Jewish king, Pontius Pilate, who was a Roman, when I say governor, he has more authority than the Jewish king. There's a Jewish king, there's a Roman governor, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. You got Jews and Gentiles, both saying, we got to get rid of this Jesus. Religious people and governmental people, we got to stop this Jesus. But the church says, the church says, all these people came together, look at verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. All we're doing is living out the purposes of God. All we're doing is living out the destiny of God. God has arranged for this. God has allowed this to happen. God has caused this to happen. When I said about five, ten minutes ago, there's a lot of things I want to get to when you just This is one of them. We're going to talk a lot about providence. Why does God do it? And why does he do it this way? And why does it not make sense to us? And why do we react to it so, so, well, that's not fair. That's not, that shouldn't be. What are we puppets? And we're going to explore all of that. The church says, 
in verse 27 and 28. Okay, so they, they, they made their own little coalition. And, and they're only doing what God had foreordained to occur. They're only doing, they want to do it. They plan to do it. They thought this through and decided to do it. But all they're doing is what God has wanted to occur. What? Well, you're going to love this stuff. <laughs> or inspire me. <laughs> There's no need for us to panic. God knows what He's doing. Yeah, amen. Yeah. There's nothing outside of His hands. Nothing. So here's our response, verse 29. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Oh God, we're in trouble. Oh God, you're going to help me. Oh God, what are you going to do? Their response is not that at all. Their response is, God, you knew this was going to happen. So our response is, let us not be intimidated. Let us not cower in fear. Oh God, here's their prayer. Make us not arrogant. Make us not intimidating. We don't fight fire with fire. The best word for boldness might be the word confidence. We don't want to be nasty. We don't want to be hateful. We're, we're not, we're, you bring a knife, we get a gun. We're not excavating with intimidation. No, God, we're, we are gentle, we're kind. But we are certain that you are God and your ways work. May we not lose our confidence in that truth. That's speaking in boldness. It's not, uh, we raise our voice louder than yours. We buy more, more, you know, space in the newspaper than they do. We tell lies on them and make us look stronger. That's not boldness. That's doing God's work man's way. We do God's work God's way. And God's way is to turn the other cheek and to go the second mile. And to bless when you're cursed. And to be confident that what we're saying, while they despise it, those who hear it will get up and walk. Those who hear it, their sins will be washed away. Those who hear with ears to hear, their lives will be changed forever. And we're confident of that. That's speaking in boldness. That's speaking in boldness. It's not louder, more intimidating, or, or we've, we've tipped the scales, and now 51% of the public is with us. 51% of the public has never been with Jesus. Never. But we speak in boldness. We speak in confidence. We speak in certainty. No, this is true. This is true. And I will gladly die for it. Because it's what changed me, and it will continue to change people until Jesus comes. Grant to us, 29, that we speak with boldness when you stretch out your hands to heal. Signs and wonders in the name of your servant, Jesus, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to do what? Speak the word in boldness. God answered their prayer. They asked for boldness, 29, verse 31. God gave them boldness. Here's my theory. I'll get you this little shot, a little loving shot with a left hand hook from the pastor. And we'll move on. 
You know why so many of us don't get our prayers answered? Because we're praying the wrong prayers. We've got all kinds of money. We're still asking God for more money. God says you don't need more money. You need more money, so it will get you more trouble. You don't think it, but I'm protecting you when I give you more money. What we need is more boldness. Not arrogance, not intimidation, but loving, certain kindness. Loving, gentle, but thoroughly convinced no, this is true, and this will work. Yeah. And when we pray for that, oh, he will give us that. Yeah. Yeah. That he will give us. Well, there's chapter 3 and 4. Let me see. We get to verse 32. This is back to their roots, back to their base. Acts 4.32 is exactly the end of Acts 2. Acts 2, about, I don't know, verse 42, the last paragraph of Acts 2, sounds almost exactly like the last paragraph of Acts 4. Look at 4.32. All who believed were of one heart and one soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They took care of one another. They were true family. They weren't communal. They were not communal in that literal sense, but they were so interconnected that they lived and acted and spoke emotionally as one. And the whole community said, something's not those people. There's a power and there's a love in those people that we're afraid of, but we admire. We'll see that again if I get to it. Finally, look at verse 36. Joseph, speaking about oneness, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, because Barnabas means son of encouragement. Verse 37, he sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. All these people get saved. And when you get saved, you probably lost your job. Or your Orthodox Jewish family kicked you out. You with that radical rabbi Jesus of Nazareth, he's a fraud. You follow him, we disown you. To this day, when Orthodox Jews come to faith in Christ, the family holds a funeral for him. So someone's got to take care of these people. Well, their new family takes care of the people. And to finance that care, Barnabas sells maybe his retirement plot. There goes my life saving, but we got to take care of these Christians. And he liquidates, if not all, some of his estate. And there's how the whole story of chapter 3 and chapter 4 ends. And immediately, immediately we go to chapter 5. Because there's this couple in chapter 5 that's in the church. And they see what Barnabas did. And they said, hey, here's a chance for us to get some recognition. Chapter 3 and 4 is about having pressure from the religious community saying, you can't do that. Well, we just did that in the name of Jesus. But here we go to chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira saw what Barnabas did at the end of chapter 4. And, and they stole a piece of property, but they lied and said, we got X amount, which X would be half. We, 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 it was worth 10000 we, 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 we sold it for, for five, and here's the 5000 Of course, they pocketed the other five. I'm just making up numbers. And Peter says in verse 2 and 3 of the chapter, wait a second, this, this, you don't have to lie like that. You don't have to lie like that. If you only give 5000 to the church, give 5000 And who cares if you sold it for ten? 
Or if you didn't want to sell at all. No one said you had to sell it. We didn't make fun of the sale of his. We didn't make him give all the money. That's between him and God. No one's telling you you got to sell anything. And if you sell anything, no one's telling you how much of it you give to the church. All of it, none of it. That's your business. We're not telling you any of that. I'm not mad about, about selling or not selling, giving or not giving. The issue here is you're lying and making yourself look holy when you're really deceptive. And when Peter confronts the husband, he doesn't say any abracadabra, magical, angelic words. Ananias just fell over dead. Bam! You sure you want to get back to New Testament church life? <laughs> the brother fell over dead. I don't know how much longer, a couple of hours, the wife shows up. Where's my husband? Well, we were talking about the property and, and, and the whole deceptive thing, and boom, she fell over dead. Look at verse 12, chapter 5, verse 12. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people. He's not talking about them falling over dead. It's, it's, it's we're back now in principle to the, the, the miracle that Peter and John do in chapter 3 of, of, of healing this guy. Now at this point you say, well, Pastor, that's that's why you know, we're, we're not seeing the same kind of evangelistic zeal because we don't have miracles. And I'm saying, well, we don't have miracles like this. At least I know I don't. But we have supernatural stuff going on amongst us. Yeah. At least we should. Yeah. Yeah. I get to that again in just a second. Verses 12 through 16 here might be my favorite paragraph in the book of Acts. That's kind of a bold statement to make, but I tell you, I love this paragraph. Especially, especially verse 13. None of the rest of the community held the church, these disciples of Jesus, in high esteem. Uh, none of the people dared join them. I got it backwards. None of the people dared join them, but they held them in high esteem. And I love that, that coexistent contradiction. Love those people. They scare me. <laughs> so it's something holy about those people. But I, 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 I don't want to go to church. I'm drawn to them. I'm repelled by them. There's something beautiful going on here. Something powerful going on here. But I, 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 it, it's too heavy for me. It's too much for me. Oh my goodness. The, what is it with these people? Do you think our communities look at us that way? I sadly think they do not. And our instinct is, well, let's, let's generate something that would, 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 would have the same effect. So what? We're, we're going to hire singers and, and, and sing better than that church, and, and that's going to have that effect? We're, we're, we're trying to do something. We're trying to do something to create something like, like, like verse 13. But you can't manufacture verse 13. Verse 13 is 100% absolutely the manifestation of the presence of God. 
So the long answer, the short answer to, to our dilemma is it's only when people see the reality of Jesus in our sacrifice, in our surrender, in our turning the other cheek, going the second mile, our 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 benevolence, our 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 just keep on loving. Just keep on loving. Something like verse 15 will begin to, to emulate out of us. And the community will say, these people don't just go to church. I go to church. All my aunts and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews, we all go to church. We ain't like them. Not because we only read out of the King James translation. <laughs> That's not the distinction. It's, it's, it's love. It's the reality of that love. The endlessness of that love. even to the point of doing the miraculous. I know that couple when they first got married, and no one thought they were going to make it, but they have the best marriage. How did they do that? Yeah. Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, that's right. And their kids, and, and this, and they're never miserable. And they're, How did they do that? Oh, that's Jesus. So, so there is the supernatural within our reach. This is how chapter 5 opens for us. It continues in verse 17. So the high priest rose up and all that were with them, which is the Sadducees, in conjunction with the Pharisees, the two big Jewish denominations. And they are filled with jealousy. Man, that church is growing like crazy. We just saw in chapter 4, 5,000 people. 3,000 day of Pentecost. We've been a couple of weeks and 8,000 people joined the church. What? Well, of course, the religious authorities are filled with jealousy, chapter 5, verse 18. So, what do we do? We put the apostles back in jail. Well, we got to stop this. So, verse 18, they put them back in jail. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Here we go. <laughs> the struggle is between light and dark. Right. It's not between denomination and denomination. It's between light and dark. God and the absence of God. Right. People of true faith and just religion. Right. And there's the struggle. We lock you up. God sets us free. Sometimes we're free inside the prison. Sometimes we're free because he opened the doors of the prison. And immediately, look at verse 20. He didn't say, now go underground and make sure you keep yourself safe and don't put yourself in harm's way. No, he said exactly the opposite in verse 20. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So, 21, they go right back to the most public place there is in all of Jerusalem, and that's the temple. And they start preaching Jesus. Yeah, Because they're still operating on that prayer they prayed that God answered for them back in chapter 5. Chapter, I'm losing my place now, chapter 4. God give us boldness, and God gave them boldness. 
And here they are, right back in the temple, not saying, you can't kill us! <laughs> but they are saying, you know what? This truth of Jesus is so precious. Right. You guys got to hear this. You guys got to hear this. Yeah, well, we heard some stories about people falling over dead in your church. We didn't do that. We're not killing anybody. Now, God's ways can be confusing to us. His providence doesn't always make sense to us. We didn't ask God to strike those two dead, but he did. And there's all kinds of things that the world doesn't understand about God's ways. Come on, let me be honest. There's a bunch of things I don't understand about God's ways. But I know God's heart. And just because I don't understand every particular act that he takes, doesn't mean that I'm done with God. So they went right back to preaching in the temple. Verse 20 and 21. Skip down to verse 29. Verse 27 says, so they brought him back before the council. Here we go again. The high priest said, we told you to keep your mouth shut. My translation, verse 28. And yet, look at verse 28. You have filled Jerusalem with this teaching. And the last line of 28, and you're blaming us for it. You, 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 you just say it's all our fault. We're the ones that killed Jesus. Well, now that you bring it up, fellas. <laughs> Verse 29, Peter answered, we must obey God rather than men. He's not drawing a line the same intentional, although he is, but that's not his motive. He's saying, you're mad at us because you think we're rebellious. I'm telling you that I love him because he's loved me so I can't help myself but obey him. I, I, you're asking me, you, you think I'm defiant, you think I'm rebellious, you think I'm trying to stir up trouble here. I'm not! But I'm so crazy in love with this man, I owe him my life. Yeah. And there's nothing I won't do for him. Yeah. There's nothing I won't do for him. You can threaten me all you want. I'm not, I'm not spitting in your face! I, I, I don't want to resist him. I couldn't resist him if I tried. I love him. This isn't defiance. It's compliance to a higher authority. We're not rebellious. But we're not ashamed. Amen. This is the climate. This, this is the atmosphere. That no matter what came, they kept standing up. And they get knocked down. They get right back up. This is what I want you to see. Don't just see the history. See the heart behind the history. Where'd that heart come from? Well, it's this inseparable relationship with the living God. We have to obey God, not because we're afraid if we don't. I'm not afraid if I don't. It's who's ever loved me like this? That's right. That's right. Who stood by me more than Jesus? Who has forgiven me more than Jesus? Right. 
Stephen. Stephen is, is, is important to us because it's the first time that a non-apostle is, is now doing miracles. When I say, now, I'm, I'm using the word miracles a lot. Uh, there's conventional and then there's not as typical. And when I talk about us being involved in the miraculous, it's, it's, it's the supernatural. It's the, the, the not conventional. But it's not the same as the miracles that the apostles were doing. But now it's not just the apostles. It's this, this deacon named Stephen. But he comes into prominence because of a problem. So let's look at another problem and have a solve. Chapter 6, verse 1. The disciples are increasing in number. That's an understatement. This church is exploding. And a complaint by the Hellenistic women, widows, arose because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Here's what's going on. So families were coming to faith in Christ. And, and in your family, is, is there was no senior citizen's home. There was no, put grandma in there, we'll send her card and go see her twice a year. <coughs> uh, no, grandma's in the house with all of us. And, and, and you know, if I've lost my job because I'm now a disciple of Jesus, that means we can't eat, grandma can't eat, and we're all in trouble. So they set up a little food pantry, probably a huge food pantry in the church. And they're feeding people, families, and widows every day. And someone said, well, it seems to us that there's a different level of treatment for the Jewish Jewish widows and us Hellenistic Jewish widows. And here's the difference in that word. Hellenistic means that you're Jewish genetically. But your culture, your language, your value, not kosher, your speech is, is, is not typical Jewish. We would say Yiddish. It's, I've, I've, integrated into a Gentile life. But I am Jewish by birth. I'm a Hellenistic Jew. But Jewish Jews, well, they're really Jews, and they get better treatment, and they get the food first, and if we run out, we're the ones that miss out. And, and it doesn't seem right to us. Now, I think that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and now the Book of Acts, is telling us this because he's saying, look, this church is not perfect. This church is not perfect. There's some stuff going on. Whether it was intentional or incidental or accidental or oversight, there's no explanation. But this church has some problems. And I the fire trying to get some recognition and they get struck dead. The widows are being neglected and maybe they said, we don't say anything, we don't want to start trouble somewhere. We gotta say something. And sooner or later it became an issue. And here it is in chapter 6. I love the response. Verse 2, chapter 6, 2. The twelve, that would be the apostles. They summoned the full number of disciples. That's the whole congregation. That is some kind of congregational meeting. 8, 10, 15,000. It's a congregational meeting. And they say, it's not right that we, that's the apostles, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word to spend all of our time passing out food. There's nothing wrong with passing out food. But we're not the ones who should be doing that. Someone else should do that. This is where we get the word deacon. 
Therefore, brothers, pick up from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. I love the phrase in verse 3 full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. You know, we need to, to do ministries, care ministries, loving ministries, uh, you know, community services ministries. We need people who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. You know, we need to vacuum the carpet here week by week. People who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. Yeah. Here we need on work day, people who are full of Spirit and full of wisdom. Yeah. Because we're not just getting jobs done, dispatching chores. Get that silly work done. No, no, everything we do, we do as unto the Lord. So the apostles have said, look, God is, God is doing some amazing work. Let us keep keep pushing, keep putting in the forefront. Let us keep exalting the preaching of the word of God. Let us keep declaring the truth of God. Let us continue to speak with boldness in the prison, out of the prison, in the temple, in the homes, in discipleship groups. Let's keep advancing the gospel. Let's keep talking about the scriptures. Which, by the way, remember, all they had was the Old Testament. And revival breakdown because they're preaching from the Old Testament. Wow! So let's not back off of the spiritual piece. But we need some people to take over this, this, this other piece. And so they appoint some people, and Stephen is one of them. Let's skip down to verse well, I look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the disciples multiplied greatly, and a great number of priests are born again. Would you love to be in an environment like this? Back to Stephen, verse 8. Full of grace, full of power. Now he is doing signs and wonders. In the more Elijah, Elisha kind of a way. There was a synagogue, not the one temple in Jerusalem, but a smaller place to worship, a more regional place to worship. There was a synagogue called the Synagogue of Freedmen. I'm, I'm assuming a lot here, but I would imagine this was a pretty, uh, not arrogant, I would not say arrogant, but they were. They felt good about themselves. Because we used to be slaves down in North Africa. Cyrenians. Alexandrians. But no more. We're free men. We're free men. There was a synagogue of the freedmen. And it lists where all they came from. And they're disputing with Stephen. He's talking about your Jesus Nazareth. He's a fraud. No, no, no. We're, we're Jewish people. We're, 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 the, we're the sons of Abraham. These are Africans. By the way, for those of you who feel uncomfortable and you use ethnicity to make a spiritual point, give it up because there's no validity to it. They're disputing the Stephen. I love verse 10. 
They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit of which he was speaking. He didn't outshout them. He outloved them. His spirit. His compassion. His love. His gentleness. His mercy. And he didn't just talk mercy. He showed mercy. He had some wisdom. But it was his manner. It was his spirit. It was it was his heart. You can't hate a guy like this. He just keeps smiling and loving the way he does. So rather than acknowledge, you know what, he's got the truth and we just have religion. They say, no, I'm going to frame him. That's why I'm framing him. Verse 11. So they secretly instigated other men who said, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people of the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. This is part of the deal. If you think that's not going to happen in our world right now, then you're not listening every Sunday to Voice of the Martyrs who are suffering for Jesus every day. Around the globe, people are dying for Jesus because someone lied to them and said they hate the government and they hate this and they hate. And these people don't hate anybody. They love Jesus, and simply by loving Jesus, they expose someone else. So we kill them. It hasn't changed since the Book of Acts till today. Verse 13, they set up false witnesses. That is to say, they bribed people to lie. And they went to court and they lied and they framed them. But look at verse 15. And looking at Stephen, all who sat in the council saw his face like the face, you see it? Yeah. Of an angel. He's not mad. He's not trembling in fear. Opposite, chapter 5, they prayed for confidence. And here it is. I want you to see you can't have one without the other. You can't have a massive movement of God without the people who think they control God saying, we can't have this! we got to put an end to this! Because when the true God shows up, false gods say, wait a second, we're losing our grip, we're losing our authority, our offerings are going down, our tenants are down, we're in trouble. We might have to get a real job. <laughs> Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. And here sits Stephen with the face of an angel. Is that beautiful? Oh my goodness. Well, look at chapter 7. The high priest says, All this true? And Stephen said, Verse 2 Brothers and fathers, still giving them respect. Fathers, hear me. The glory of God appeared to our father Abraham. He begins there, I'm not going to just read the whole story, but he begins there to just recite 
the history of Israel. We start with Abraham and all the things that happened to Abraham. He moves on to Joseph, how Joseph was betrayed and sold by his brothers. He moves to Moses. All he deals with Moses, and then Moses died, he moves to Joshua. After Joshua, he jumps to the kings, he deals with David, and then he deals with Solomon, and reviews the history of Israel. And the history of Israel is not manufactured. Everything that's written in Acts chapter 7 is documented over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Through all the books of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, everything that he, he, he summarizes in, in chapter 7 is clearly referenced and documented throughout all the Old Testament, and then he starts to conclude in verse 51 of chapter 7. This is the man who was sitting there with the face of an angel. But the truth is still the truth, and here's the truth. You are a stiff-necked people. And here's a word that would have cut them deeply, no pun intended. You are uncircumcised in your heart. And if a first century Jewish worshiper was proud of anything, and with humility, proud in humility, it's that I'm a cleansed man. I've been circumcised. But he says, no, the problem is your heart is uncircumcised. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You like things that you can see and do. You, you go to the temple and you make your sacrifices and, and, and then you say, I'm a good man because I've made my sacrifice and I've paid my tithe and I prayed this prayer and I did all that the Bible tells me to do and, and, and I'm a good man. Steve was saying, God gave us all that stuff to prove us that, that we, we need a man to do it. We can't do it for ourselves. We can make attempts and, 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 and but, but, but the problem is our hearts are still, we're trying to save ourselves. As your fathers did, so do you. And then the history becomes irrefutable. Has there ever been a time, verse 52, when some of our ancestors didn't kill the prophets? And the answer to that rhetorical question is no. There's never been an era of time when the people said, Shut up! We're not doing that! If you keep telling us you, we're going to kill you. And they did. There's never been a generation that didn't happen. They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. Who now you killed himself. They killed the prophet saying he would come, and when he did come, you killed him. Has there ever been a time that we haven't rejected the ways of God? If the law could save us, why did the Messiah have to come? You who received the laws delivered by angels did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. This translation says they ground their teeth. My guess is they were clenching their teeth. They are slain. That everything in them is tense. And, 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 and their jawbone is, 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 is flaring out. They're clenching their teeth and their faces grimaced at this angelic Stephen who's telling the truth. Yeah. Right. 
they are enraged. But he, 55, full of the Holy Spirit, looked into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. Coming home. I'll be there any minute. You guys won't kill me. I'm coming home. The heavens are open. The Son of Man is at the right hand of God. The crowd cries out with a loud voice. Shut up! Shut up! And they put their fingers in their ears. And they rush together at him. And they grabbed him. They drew him out of the city. And they stoned him. Here's a little, little foreshadowing detail. As the men are picking up their stones, I'm taking off my outer garment. I want to make sure I get a hard throw. Yeah. They take off their garments and they throw them at the feet of this guy named Saul. You don't think the Spirit of God is at work? Just a few months later, this Saul is born again and becomes Paul the Apostle. This is the power of God. They took their garments off so they could throw harder. And they laid them at the feet of a man in the soul. And here's angelic Stephen. While they're stoning him, he cries out, Lord Jesus, receiving my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cries out again with a loud voice, Do not hold this sin against them. Wow. Wow. Do not. Do not hold this sin against them. And as he's saying words like that, he dies. This kind of power is not rebellion. This kind of power, you can't stop. This is a wave of God's movement. And you're not going to stop God's movement. That's right. That's right. So the whole story is screaming at me and us, and I want us to get this. Get this. Let us stop trying to manufacture a movement with music or a change of this or a different style or change our structure. And maybe we offer this or maybe we did it this way. Let us pray the way they pray. God, would you give us your kinds of humble boldness. Would you give us your kind of fearless compassion? Do we just speak the truth? Look, you've never loved God. Two, you love the accoutrements of God. You love going to church. You love being better about yourself. You, 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 love, you love making your sacrifices so you can say, okay, good for a week. I may sacrifice my start again next week and I have to sacrifice. I prayed the prayer that they told me. We love that stuff because it gives us momentary relief from our reality. But the reality is still lingering. So that reality is still there. Because there's this sense in us, yeah, I I did that. I went last week, but it just doesn't like seem it's enough. It's It's just never enough, is it? So let's tell the truth. Yeah, you're right. It's never enough. Let me tell you what is more than sufficient. When we quit trying to save ourselves yeah. and we throw ourselves to the mercy of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And
We believe that only he can save us, and when he saves us all, man does he save us. Let's quit trying to manufacture obedience. And let's surrender. And let's 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 be filled with his presence and his love and his mercy and his kindness. And that we learn to turn the other cheek and go the second mile and bend for one another. And, and, and before we attack someone about the speck in their eye, we deal with the telephone pole sticking out of mind. And we catch these biblical principles and we start living that way. And see if God might use my earnest effort to comply and your earnest effort to comply, that God would use all of that and He would create a movement. That our kids would see, that our spouses would see. And our friends and relatives that go to other churches would see it. And, and our neighbors would see it. Was there something wrong? Something wrong? Something wrong? There's still going to be Ananias and Sapphira in the church. There's still going to be some problems that get exposed. And this one's being neglected. And this one's being preferred. And we'll have to fix that. You see it all here. But the overarching idea in this whole large passage is God's doing something amazing here. And that's my prayer for us. Not that we wouldn't be thrilled with some emotional experience. But our deep spirits would be thrilled because God is at work in our midst. And there's a problem in this family, there's a problem in this, this, this part of the church life, there's a problem here, and we're going to address these problems, but God is doing something in our midst. Let's, let's, let's blow the embers on that. Let's, let's pack up the embers and, and fan that little, that little flicker into a flame. Let's address Let's, let's address the widows. Let's address this. We'll sit in, next week the cusses with us. Uh, two weeks from now we'll pick up chapter 8, 9, 10, 11 and we'll deal with racism in the church and how they fix it. Let's get earnest about not just going to church but being the church. Yeah. Loving, forgiving, yeah. persevering, Let's move this love from yeah, we can love one another. Let's let's love unbelievers around us. Yeah. All right, let me finish. I didn't plan for the poll this way. It just did. I'm glad it did. Kind of. Uh, there's a word I can't get it. So it's it's Memorial Day weekend, and tomorrow. You'll gather with friends and family and, and, and you'll remember people in your family that served. Maybe maybe someone, all, all, all the military people in my family have come home. Maybe you've got some in your family that didn't make it home. And you'll remember them tomorrow. And all of America will remember them tomorrow because we are free because of them. That, that's not an overstatement. We are free because of them. I wonder if generations from now, our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will look back and say, 
there was a spiritual movement. There was a spiritual movement. There was a spiritual clash. And it wasn't fought with guns and weapons and, and anger and, and politics. No, it, it was it was these people wanted control, but these people showed the love of Jesus. These people wanted control, but these people showed the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus won. And because of the love of Jesus won, I'm now a Christian. Because my parents and their parents and their parents and, and, and Christians before me got serious about living for Jesus. And now I've inherited that spiritual legacy. And I know what I know about Jesus. Because they didn't just go to church. They were caught up in a movement of God transform families and lives and I'm one of them. But we live in civic freedom because someone died to themselves. I want people behind me and you to live in spiritual freedom because we quit arguing about my preference and what's Comfortable for me. I want my way. And we all said, no, I want God to have his way. So we can all be free. So we're going to sing this song this morning. It's a Brooklyn Tabernacle song. I love this song. A vessel of honor for God. Stay with me.